Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Winston Fiander. Winston was born in 1940 in Coombsco, Fortune Bay. He attended Memorial University and graduated with a Bachelor of Education in 1966. He worked in New Brunswick as a training specialist and later held senior positions in human resource management. He returned to Newfoundland in Labrador in 1999 and has been engaged in various community development initiatives. Currently, he's a member of the Fisheries Communities Alliance of Newfoundland Labrador, the board of directors of the Church by the Sea Incorporated, and is past chair of the Portugal Cove St. Philip's Heritage Committee. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. So this comes out of a, a, some email correspondence we had had. We were, we were talking about intangible cultural heritage and, and traditions that might be at risk uh, today. And you had, you had sent me an email about you know, your boyhood growing up in Coombs Cove. So I thought maybe we should have a chat mm-hmm. about some of those memories. Because yes. yes. sometimes those stories disappear when we don't, when we don't talk about them and mm-hmm. record them. So for people who might not be familiar with the metropolis of Coombs Cove. <laughs> where, where is it? Well, it's, uh, it's in Fortune Bay. Uh, Harbour Britain is fairly well known, so it's about nine miles along the coast from Harbour Britain. And, uh, well, currently there's, uh, I think, about 19 people living there. <laughs> right, yeah. But in its heyday, there were about... Uh, 250 people. It was quite a prosperous little little community. Yeah. And so when did the Fyanders arrive in that in that part of the province? Uh, somewhere in the early 1800s. Yeah. My uh, great-great-grandfather would have settled in Coombs Cove. Right. And you were saying that your, your understanding is that they were Probably French Protestants who had had kind of left left France uh, and then settled in England and then had ended up in yeah. in Newfoundland. Yeah, yeah. The the we we've traced the name back to uh, 1490, and uh, the name appears on the on the books on the uh, Henry the Eighth, I think it was books as F I A N D R E Fiandre. Which leads me to believe, given the time and the and the spelling, leads me to believe that they were uh, Huguenots, right? French Protestants that were thrown out of France, yeah, for being Protestants. We're still Protestants, <laughs> so it's in stuck, many ways, it? yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they ended up. They ended up uh, in, in Newfoundland, and the, and the community was uh, was a fishing community. Fishing, I guess. yes, yeah. Well, you know. Uh, in those days, uh, every uh, every fisherman was also a farmer, so they were farmers and fishermen. But, but primarily, their their livelihood came from fishing, and uh, and the community was uh, all of the younger men in the community uh, fished on the Grand Banks in in the schooners, mm-hmm. and uh, and later on when the draggers arrived on the scene, they were dragger fishermen. And it seems that the inshore fishery was the domain of the older uh, fishermen in the community. And so they would be fishermen who were fishing with either hand lining or setting traps? Yeah. Hand lines, cod traps, and uh, nets. And they fished cod and herring and salmon, lobster. Right. 
Yeah, because there was a lobster, uh, a lobster fishery on the south coast of the island. It wasn't as prevalent, kind of like in Conception Bay. There's some lobstering, but not as much mm. as there was in Fortune Bay or Placentia Bay. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the, in the community that I grew up in, Coombsville, there was a small lobster plant. Oh yeah. They uh, where they canned lobster, and of course uh, they 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 could do nothing with the the bodies. They just threw those out, and, and we were always there to eat what we could. <laughs> <laughs> After school, we'd leave school and, and uh, on our way home, drop off at the at the factory and, and get a couple of uh, two or three bodies and and eat them. They're quite delicious, actually. Yeah, yeah. And then where did they did they act? They export these, I then would imagine. Yes, yeah. yes. They would have uh, in English Harbor West. There were a couple of merchants that uh, bought fish. Uh, the JPT uh, Sons and uh, a family of Shirley's okay. had a business there. Yeah, yeah. And so you were saying that your your father was a, was a, a banker fisherman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, at a very early age he, he started the bank fishery, and uh, and also at a very early age actually he became the skipper of uh, of uh, these bankers and he skippered a number of them uh, owned by uh, Jerry Teton Sons in English Harbor West mm-hmm. and uh, subsequently uh, in 1951 he bought his own schooner and uh, and then for 10 years they fished the Grand Banks. I think she may, the Isabel Spindler was the name of the schooner. And I think it may well have been the last of the banking schooners. Now, there's hmm. others that would claim the same. Yeah. And was she purpose-built for your for your father, or, or did he no. buy her from someone else? No, he bought her from uh, a, a, a petite, as a matter of fact, who was then living in Halifax. Okay, yeah. But the schooner was built for a gentleman by the name of Spindler in Lunenburg. Oh, okay. She came off the same, came from the same yard as as the uh, Blue Nose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Famous racing schooner. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Were there were there uh, was there a tradition of boat building though along that along that coast? Uh, there there was you know the the men of the community that I grew up in built dories and mm-hmm. uh, punts were not a big thing in in that community. They were dory. Fishermen and they used dories and built dories. And, uh, there weren't many boats built, to the best of my knowledge, in in that whole area. Yeah, you had also mentioned that there were jackboats. Uh, now, yeah. what what's what's a, a jackboat for the uninitiated? Jackboat is a small schooner. Yeah, so it's used about uh, about sixty feet long, sixty plus feet long, and uh, and and schooner rigged. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And people would use those for? Fishing. For fishing. For, yeah. for tr- the, tr- the trap fishery <coughs> or? No, they were too, they were too big. Too for big the, for traps. Too for traps. Yeah. They would fish, uh, they would go up the coast and fish on the, uh, the Burgio banks and, and probably out on the St. Pierre bank and, and so on. Yeah. And so as a, as a, as a boy, you spent time on your father's oh, schooner. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, and what was that like? Oh, that was a great. That was a wonderful experience. Yeah, you know, why is that? 
Well, it was always so exciting. I mean, we we grew up in an isolated community, and uh, of course, this gave me an opportunity to travel to places like Halifax and yeah. Sydney, Lewisburg, and so on. So we got to see traffic lights and cars and telephones. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> All these modern conveniences. All these modern yeah. conveniences, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. And so how long would you stay on the schooner? <clears throat> is, it a, is it a summer? Well, it was a summer thing. Yeah. And, and uh, occasionally, uh, uh, my father used to do a, a fall trip or two uh, over to Sydney where he'd get a load of coal or go to PEI where he'd pick up a load of produce. Mm-hmm. And uh, he needed uh, he needed me, actually, to, to drive the truck. So he'd put the, the truck on the deck of the schooner, and we'd go down around Fortune Bay, go to places like uh, Baden-Ord and Pools Cove and, and uh, Bay Largent and so on. And, of course, uh, no, there were no roads at that point. So uh, I would uh, I would have the, the privilege of trying to maneuver a pickup truck, a small pickup truck, through those little communities with a load of, with a ton of coal on it or more. Yeah. And uh, that was always a bit of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so how would you get, the, how would you get the, the truck on and off the schooner? Well, skids. We'd have, oh, okay. Yeah, we'd have skids and we'd put those, we'd have skids across the, the uh, deck of the schooner. And, uh, and then, uh, of course, with, you know, half a dozen good, strong men, uh, really you'd wait until the tide was high enough that you're, Pretty well level, but if you weren't, uh, you'd, you'd get uh, half a dozen fellows on the end of the ramps, and they would lift them up and <laughs> just away you go. And away you go. Yeah, yeah. How, uh, what <clears throat> what was the kind of average crew size for a for a schooner like that? How many men would be on it? Well, the co- this this was coasting, so there yeah. would be six, six or so, six or seven men. Yeah. But uh, for the banking schooner, there were twenty eight men on the banking okay. schooner. Because yeah. you had 12 dories and, and two men in a dory, uh, plus the engineer, plus the skipper, plus the cook. Right. And usually there was a young uh, lad who was called the kedgy. Now, uh, that's a, now, that's a new word for me. What is, what is the kedgy? Well, the kedgy is, is the greenhorn. He's, he's learning, the, learning the rope, so to speak. And uh, he's there to, I don't know exactly where the, where the term comes from. But uh, you know his role would be to when when the dories came alongside the schooner uh, to catch the ropes from the from the dory. Now I don't know if you know the way we uh, butcher words. It could be it was catching ropes, and uh, so they call yeah. it catchy, catchy, Yeah, but it was catchy. I was known as catchy. And he would help the cook, and he would you know he'd, he'd do whatever he was told to do. Yeah. And if if one of the crew were uh, ill, uh, one of the dory crew were ill. He would he would go in the dory with uh, one of the experienced men, of course, yeah. and and in this way he learned the trade. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you would have your smaller crew, would would you have your own cook or would you take turns? No, with a smaller crew, there's a cook. Yeah, yeah. So, what were meals like on the schooner? <clears throat> well, you know, uh, there was no refrigeration on the schooner, hmm. so. Uh, now they did carry if they were fishing, fresh fishing, especially they carried ice. So you could you could keep uh, 
some meat and chickens and so on. But but there was a lot of saw beef, and uh, and you know, jigs dinners were were pretty normal. Uh, and of course, if there were uh, if there's some salmon on the go, or you know, somebody caught a codfish or something like that, that, that would be the food for the day. Yeah. yeah. So they had three meals every day. You know, in the morning there'd be eggs and bacon and ham, and, and then for uh, for lunch it was always cooked meal, whatever you know, it was soup or uh, something fairly substantial. And then in the evening, of course, they would have their bigger meal it would it would be salt beef and potatoes and turnip cabbage and so on yeah so it must have been quite an adventure to be a young lad and go off and oh do it that. was yeah it was it was a a real learning experience you yeah know? yeah and would there be other fellows your age or would it be all older older all guys older, all older yeah all older guys. and how did they how did they treat you as the the young fella they well some of them would just ignore you right yeah. <laughs> But uh, but there were always a few, you know, that, and I still remember them to this day. That would uh, would want to teach you, would yeah. want to tell you, you know, all about the schooner. And uh, my father, I, I worked on the schooner one uh, couple of summers as a student when I was going to university. And my father always took the position that you were one of the crew. So. You know, he he, he didn't uh, act like a father towards me under those circumstances. So I had to fend for myself. Mm. But there there usually was one or two men on the schooner that would help you, you know, that would tell you how to steer, how to keep the course, how to how to do whatever, you know, whatever the jobs were that, <clears throat> that you were allocated. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was always appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what do you think that taught you as a young as a young man? I mean, you learned specific skills, but did it te- teach you anything broader? Well, I think the most important lesson was you had to pull your own weight. You know, you weren't you could not be a slacker, especially since the, since uh, you were a as a crewman, you were a shareman. And uh, uh, when you're fishing, the uh, uh, the catch, the value of the catch was divided up amongst the members of the crew. The, the, the schooner would take a, a proportion, 30% or 40% or something like that. And the remaining 60% would be divided up amongst the crew members. And uh, if you were a slacker, you were told you were a slacker. Because you know, you're people thought that you were getting an unfair share. Yeah, that's then. Right. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you were when you were on land, what, what were some of the the pastimes uh, that you remember from from yeah. that, that period? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> and now you know I'm, we're we're talking uh, on land, talking about an age range from I don't know, five or six years old up until I left the community at the age of eighteen, seventeen. And, uh, and uh, we always had something on the go, you know. We we basically lived outdoors. Mm-hmm. If, as a matter of fact, I've often said that uh, if we arrived home and uh, supper wasn't ready, 
mother would say, go on outdoors now, because supper's not ready, so, you know, come back again half an hour from now, get your supper. Uh, but, you know, we were, we had uh, uh, some unique games that we played. Uh, uh, Peddler Joel was one, was a pretty popular one. Okay, well, let's start there. Yeah. So, because this is a new new one for me, a new name. So, okay. how do you play it? Well, uh, there's another name for it here in St. John's. They call it, uh, uh, I forget what it is now. Piddly or Tiddly? Piddly. They call it Piddly. Right. And we never called it Piddly. So, we you call it Peddler Joe. Peddler Joe. And this is a game where you play with, uh, you have two sticks, and you, yeah. and you, a small stick and a longer sure. stick. Yeah. So, walk me through it. How do you, do you remember how to play? <clears throat> well, you know, the, the, the big advantage, of course, of Peddler Joe was... All you had to do was walk along the beach and pick up a couple of sticks, a short one and a longer one, and then cover, get a couple of rocks. And and you uh, you started off by what you call hooking, mm-hmm. which is you put the short the short uh, stick, which we call the ball. We used to call it the ball. Oh, okay, yeah. So you put the short uh, stick across the rocks, and then you would hook it with the longer stick. Now, if somebody on the other side caught it, you were out. That was you were finished, and we'd go on to the. So on each side there would be, well, however many. That's another advantage of the game. There could be just two people playing it, or it could be a dozen people. So if there were a dozen, you'd have six on either side. So if if there were six, for example, on either side, and if you were out, and you go on to the the next person. Now, if uh, if you uh, hooked it and uh, and nobody caught it, fell on the ground, somebody would then pick it up, and you you put the the longer stick over the two rocks, and the object then was for the uh, opposing team, member of the opposing team, throw the to throw the short stick, the ball, we call it, and knock off the longer stick, knock it off the rocks, or if it if it went between the rocks, underneath the stake. That also meant you were out. Now, if you got through that, <laughs> right? <laughs> the next thing you did was uh, you hit the the short stick. You just held it. You just oops, sorry. You just tossed it up in the air and and gave it a good whack, whack. with the longer stick. Yeah, the longer stick, and it would go flying through the air. Uh, I mean, it was kind of a dangerous thing because it would be it would be spinning, <laughs> spinning, and, flying and, and, stick. And yeah, it, you know, if it got you in the eye or whatever, it would do serious damage to you. But anyway, and and we used to catch these things with our bare hands. You yeah, know? yeah. And if you didn't catch it, if you didn't catch it, it simply landed on the ground. And now you pick it up, and uh, and you you stand by the the uh, the two rocks with the with the long stick with the bat. And the uh, person with the short would throw it at you. Throw it, not at you, but at the... The object there was to, to put the short uh, stick between the rocks again. And, of course, the person standing there with the, with the bat would try to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. Now, if he, if he hit it when, after it was thrown, it would, you know, it would go uh, some distance then from the from the rocks so you would then measure with with the long stick you would measure it back to the the rocks so end over end end over end and right. you're counting as you go one two three four five so you get up to 
whatever, 5, 6, 10, or whatever, the score. And then you piddled. <laughs> then you simply took the short stick and, and, and bounced it back and forth. And however many times you could, however long you keep ah. it in the air, you count each time you hit it. And that goes on to your, on to your score, score as well. Right. And then would it go, would, would your team still have have the play then or would yes. it go to the next turn no oh. our team would still well the, that player would would continue to play until uh he or she was usually he uh was was out right and once he was out then the next person on the team would would play until he was out yeah and and so you're counting up your score and we used to play 120 i think it was mm-hmm. just the was the winning score once you got there you've had the game yeah, yeah. so this is a this is a game that's played all of, over the island mm-hmm. and it has all these variations in rules in mm-hmm. different places and all these different names so it's mm-hmm. uh, piddly or pippy or tiddly um uh, uh in cape royal they call it snig uh, <laughs> and i've heard it called puss because sometimes the little stick is called the puss instead of the, yeah, okay. the ball right yeah now, but you this action where you're kind of hitting it is that what did you call that the where you're hitting it up and trying to peddling. keep it in the air peddling that's the peddling yeah yeah like i I know the way they play it in carbonier, for example, which they call the world cup of tiddly yeah. they don't do that no. they they skip that they skip that piece, I think it ends when you when you measure it out, I think that's okay, the end that's of the, the, end. Okay. the end of the game, yeah. yeah, so it's just interesting how all these different little variations yeah. popped up in yeah. various places, yeah. yeah. I know at one point um, someone had been doing an interview on CBC Radio about, I think it was they were interviewing someone with the World Cup of Tiddly. And uh, this gentleman who had grown up in Carbonier um, phoned in or emailed in to the radio and said he had grown up in Carbonier and he had learned to play the game. And he had been, uh, he was a geologist and he had been in Yemen of all places. And they had, they were, he was doing geology for a mine or something, a quarry. And um, <clears throat> came time to have a tea break, and they stopped, and all these old Yemeni gentlemen got up and took up two pieces of stick and started to play this game, right? Which she said, oh, that's Tiddler. We play that in, <laughs> in Carbonier. So it must have been one of these kind of British colonial games that got that kind of traveled around and, so, and yeah. played in different places. Yeah. But uh, it's amazing how many people have stories of that game in Newfoundland. Yeah. Were there other games that you loved playing? Well, we played uh, Rounders as well. It was another game that yeah. we played. And Rounders was uh, somewhat like softball, except we didn't use a bat and we didn't use a hard ball. We used a sponge ball. Okay, yeah. So the, the, the pitcher would uh, would throw the, the ball and uh, would pitch the ball. And the person, the batter we would call him, would hit the ball with his fist, not, not with a... Not with a stick, and uh, and the object then was to run to. We didn't have uh, four bases; we just had three three bases: home base, uh, first base, second base, and back home, home again. Yeah, and uh, the object there was to uh, to run to to do the the bases and back home without getting hit by the ball. They would throw the ball at you, not. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a sponge ball. Sponge ball, so that was yeah, not quite as bad. Yeah. Inside the head or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes that happened. Yeah. So you learned how to dodge and 
and run and, and so on. Yeah. And you touch the first base and then on to the second and on to the third if you're lucky. Somebody didn't get you. Uh, and and there again, you know, it was a team sport, and uh, and there was there was no particular that I know of, no particular rules about how many there would be. They, they we were very flexible about that, right? You know? So however many kids there yeah. were, they could play the yeah. game. Yeah. You basically needed uh, you needed a couple of people on the other side, to, on each side, but uh, there could be six or seven or a dozen or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play marbles? Was marbles or alleys a game that you played? The girls used to play. It was that. A, more of a girls game. The girls used to play that. Yeah. 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 No, we didn't play with that. No. Yeah. Now, one of the other little traditions I wanted to get you to tell me about was about uh, what you would do on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So well, you said it was it was a community that was very church oriented. So you would you would all go off to church. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, the uh, you know. The Anglican Church monopolized Sunday. I mean, <laughs> uh, starting with uh, with uh, communion bright and early in the morning, eight o'clock or so in the morning, and then there would be another morning service at about eleven o'clock, which would be the first was a communion, and the second was a communion plus there were other uh, those who who weren't confirmed were in attendance at that 11 o'clock meeting, 11 o'clock service. And uh, and then, of course, 2 o'clock in the afternoon was Sunday school. And uh, and then, of course, 6 o'clock in the evening, there's Evensong. Right, <laughs> it's so, a busy day. <laughs> so the whole day, I mean, your whole th- Sunday, there was no room to, to do uh, anything other than go to church and go to Sunday school. Yeah. But uh, now, in the warmer... Uh, months in the summer and spring early fall uh, people uh, went for a walk down the down the road you know and it was just a cart path basically in in the early days and they would uh, couples and and sometimes a group of boys and and or a group of women and so on would would walk down the road and everybody would be all dressed up in their Sunday best. You know, <laughs> I don't know why, but they were. <laughs> it was almost like a Easter parade every Sunday. Yeah? <laughs> now, if you were if you were a young gentleman and you were courting someone, would this be a time to? Oh yes. Go for a walk. Oh yes. Right. Yes, yeah. That would be. Uh, that was a practice that day. But now all eyes must have been on you, though. You would, you would have to be on your best behavior. Of course. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> yeah. 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 And there were little areas along the road, you know, and uh, where, uh, of course, there's always rocks around. So you could sit on the rocks and have a smoke and a yarn and, and so on, tell stories. And, uh, uh, but that was... Uh, that was a Sunday, that was kind of a Sunday ritual with a lot of people. And it was a coming out thing, too, you know, for couples and that sort of thing. It right. Was, yeah. Yeah. And everybody knew everybody's of course. business, of, of course. Of course, yeah. yes. Everybody <laughs> knew everyone. Yeah. 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 Um, we're coming close to the end of our time here, but I'm just, I'm just wondering if you have a, a favorite memory of that time or a favorite memory of Kumskov. Oh, there's so many memories. But uh, boats. I'm still. I'm still keen about boats. You know, yeah. I have a thirty-foot 
boat that I enjoyed in the summer months. But we we used to uh, we used to have boat sailing. There was little models, and they were schooner rigged. Uh, there was one fellow uh, in in the community uh, near where where we lived who used to make those boats. You know, he make them for twenty five cents or fifty cents or whatever, and uh, they'd be he'd cut them out of a chunk of wood. They'd be maybe foot and a half long, and he'd have a bowsprit on them and two masts and and sails and you know, fully rigged, and uh, and uh, he he produced a number of those. I had one of them. I could sail. It was a pretty good little sailor. Yeah. So yeah. we'd put that off in the harbor and let it sail over to the other side and run over to the other side and get it and turn it around and <laughs> sail it back and do the same thing all over again. But on on uh, there was one day of the year that we called Boat Sailing Day, where, uh, you know, everybody who had a boat would get it out and sail out across the harbor and race, race each other. Sometimes we'd take it to the pond not far from Coombs Cove and sail our boats there too. So, well, I feel like we could, we could go on for hours, <laughs> but our <laughs> time is short. So thank you, for, thank you for coming in. Thank you very much. Very welcome. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Our production assistant is Stephanie Majikian. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. We would love to know what you think of the show. You can leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening.